despite my Tuesday working, uh, this uh, is a uh, like alcoholic, you know, this is like Jake Jameson. And, and like a Ooh, we're going get weird tonight, eh? Just drinking. <laughs> dedicated to the notion that once you've said and done the worst things, you're kind of free. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? Still fine. Lori's still fine. Tonight is Monday. Back on a Monday. Yeah. May 29th. 2023. Maintaining, though, though I briefly considered not recording tonight and just saying, Abe, Abe's going to Canada this week. I got to yeah. give him space to get all his shit together and don't want to interfere with all of that. Let Abe. Plus, we just recorded last Wednesday. And as, I, as I've said before, I feel like sometimes I need the full space of a week. Yeah. Sort of let the rage and anger about the world around me uh, have some space to breathe and grow again after I've gotten all the bad out the week before. Yeah. So I'm not even sure what exactly we'll talk about here tonight. But I didn't also didn't want to break this streak. We haven't really missed a show this year. Right. I think, I think we I, I think we've basically gone every single week so far this year. Wow. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, maybe might have missed a week when we were out for christmas or something but that, that was wasn't this year that wasn't yeah. this year that was a while ago look at that abe what did uh, i understand you were on a strange vacation situation abe's drinking tonight everybody so uh, watch out <laughs> abe's abe's in full vacation mode he's last day of work was friday although he does have to work tomorrow yeah. oddly but then Stupid. then he's off to yeah uh, gay french canada <laughs> that's right so this is like I, this is like day Three of like nine out of ten days that I'll have off. Like I'm working on Tuesday, otherwise I'm off. And so today is Memorial Day, um, and you know I'm on vacation. So I was like, okay, I'll drink. You know, haven't done that in a while. I used to do that more frequently on the show, but uh, not as. Often. Abe memorializes the fallen American <laughs> heroes with a Jameson and Coke or something. Is what it looks like. That's right, Coke Zero. I'm drinking a. Uh... A Guinness non-alcoholic draft. That's what I'm. Oh, nice! Enjoying tonight. Abe, did you get anything into anything fun this weekend? This weekend, I spent like so much time with other people that you know I uh, I live alone and yeah, I come from a big family, but like I don't actually spend that much time with other people uh, for very long periods of time. And for some reason, like all of my Saturday was booked with talking to people, uh, and then like all of Sunday talking. And then today, I was like, all right, I'm just going to sleep. And so I did most of that today, and uh, I watched that Little Mermaid thing that I'll talk about later. Oh. oh. Can't wait to hear about that later. <laughs> I talk to people all day, every day. Oh. Isn't it, it terrible? <laughs> That's all I do it's, is, is just talk. Yeah. It's, uh, if you're not used to it, it's like, it's like, well, at least for me, it's like draining. It's like, oh. No, it's it's that if you're used to it. It's okay. like dreaming. It's How is it like dreaming? Draining. I'm sorry. It's like he oh, said draining. Draining. Yeah. draining. Yeah. Okay. He said draining. Yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah. it's why I always say like as nice as these three day weekends are, 
by tomorrow night, I will be just as exhausted as I was on Friday. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's this is nice, but it's not like, ah, yeah. refreshed, because then it's all fucked right away. Right. It's funny you said it, that I misheard you saying that it's like dreaming, because that actually does speak to my experience to some extent. When I started coaching, uh, like, the, the season started this season, and, like, over the course of the last two or three years, because of the pandemic and, and my general sort of antisocial stance, like, it's not like we have a, a big pile of friends that we're always interacting with, whether there's a pandemic or not. But right. because of the pandemic, much less interpersonal interaction the last few years. And at the start of the baseball season, I remember this one interaction I had with one of these kids' dads where he comes up and he introduces himself and his kid. Very normal thing to do at the start of a baseball practice. Right. And I... And I sort of get the feeling that he's a handshaker. And like some people are handshakers, some people are not. You never really know for sure. But right. my impression of him is handshaker. So my hand goes out, his hand comes out, we shake hands. I am who I am, he is yeah. who he is. Here's the small child who's also being introduced. Good times all around. At the end of practice, he comes back up to me. And this is after like two hours of like yelling, you know, not angrily yelling at kids, but like, you know, corralling kids, being a big energy guy, trying to be the happy, fun coach who also wants to maintain discipline and get shit done. Right. And he walks back up there. I guess he's got a question about something. And my stupid hand betrays me and reaches out. <laughs> To shake his hand again. And it felt in the moment. Like, I, I, I'm not a handshaker guy. Like, I'll shake a hand if a guy wants to shake my hand. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I have good handshaking etiquette. But in that moment, I, I felt entirely betrayed by my arm and my brain and nothing was working right. And so I immediately go into, like, is this a nightmare? Like, am right. I, am I ex it's sort of an out-of-body experience of that moment? And then looking back upon it trying to imagine what's going on in my head in the moment that sent the right arm out right. to shake, which he like graciously you know, put his stupid hand out because okay. that's like what you do in that. But like, it was very clear immediately that neither of us actually wanted to be shaking the other person's <laughs> hands. Like I can sort of write it off and sort of forgive myself for it by saying, you know, eh, don't see very many people very often anymore. I'm, I'm out of practice. And this is just the first practice and, like, whatever. It's 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 all fine. It just felt very strange. I do have a, a couple of questions. Um, did did he comment on the, like, hey, we already did this. Like, uh, what, what, <laughs> no, he did not. Are we shaking hands again? But all right. <laughs> uh, <no, he> <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is, like, I, I can imagine, because it really, there's no thought process that went into it. But, like, trying to imagine the character of me who does that, right? Like, trying to give, ascribe sort of motivation to that from an objective uh, third-party perspective. It's like, old coach just, man, he's feel, he's high on his horse. He had a great practice. He's just, he, this guy's walking up to congratulate old coach Bob. And so, of course, Bob's hand, like, yeah, oh, good practice, coach. Yeah, good job. <laughs> like, like I, it's not what was going on in my head. But, like, I imagine telling the story about the asshole coach who like wanted to shake my hand after the practice and that's the story I would have told about me if yeah. uh, were I not me you know that sort of thing did did the thought cross your mind that you would you would be compelled to have to shake this man's hand just to save face like forever every <laughs> single time moving forward and like yeah and it was then not lost on me that I just maybe I'll never see this guy again <laughs> Like I've, I, I have poisoned the well such in my awkward interactions with him that he'll just drop his kid off and stay in his car and never look at me in the face again, which do you think, uh, would be uh, justified. 
you know, do, do you think it's uh, like you, your mind's like, oh, I've already seen this before, and it's like almost on autopilot doing the thing that it just learned to do a second ago? And, like yeah. you were kind of coasting. Do you know how many times I've asked someone the same, like, what are you doing this weekend or for the holidays yeah. or tonight question yeah. in a 45-minute span? Oh, yeah, I can Yeah. I like if, if someone is in my chair for 45 minutes and they're not interesting, I will, I, it's, it is a, there's a chance. It's not a strong chance, but it's like, is there something fun you're doing this weekend? They're like, yeah, I just told you I'm going to Canada. It's like, right. you did tell me that you did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard you and I, you just need to be more interesting right, than yeah. that. All right. Um, what can we talk about? That ceiling deal is done, Abe, it seems. Talk not, about Disney. Not I got quite, tons about Disney. Not quite done, but uh, done in principle, as they say. We don't have the vote yet or anything along those lines. But they're going to uh, pass something, it seems, that will delay any further talk or, or having to deal with the debt ceiling until January 1st of 2025, which on paper – when you hear it, it's like, ah, oh, that's forever from now. That's that's good news. We don't have to worry about this for some time. And then you realize it will be like the last thing that this Congress has to deal with is that on New Year, like the as the as the Congress turns over to the next bunch, right. they will have to figure this out in the wake of a presidential election and as a lame duck Congress that's about to be turned over. Right. Uh, for the the next Congress in 2025, I do wonder what the uh, the logic was behind that. You know, initially I was thinking they were going to tie it to like maybe the fiscal year. Like it's like, well, the money is already going to be spent for this fiscal year, so let's kick the can down the road to like that to like sometime in October, maybe give it a few days for, for negotiation. Um, but like to push it to January, it's like okay, so then the outcome of the 24 election will be known, uh, and but the people. The new, the incoming people that have won uh, won't be able to actually vote on anything, right? So, like, if the the makeup of the Congress changes, let's say, so like, let's say somehow the Dems take back control of the, yeah, I mean, it's razor thin margins as it is. Let's say they win enough to, let's say they clean up the the the, the issue that they had in in New York and and gain a couple of those seats back and then hold city elsewhere. That you know, well, it's it's also close that it seems like it's going to hinge entirely on who the nominees are for right. each party, right? right? And it'll come down to who can carry the most votes across the finish line with him as the nom- or her as the nominee right. for their party. But the thing is if if I wonder if there's some sort of scheme that's going to be played like what if like the Democrats do better in 24 and they're like let's not do a deal, you know, on the eve of whatever. Let's just cuz like, well, they're going to be sworn in what like on January 5th or something. Like of twenty five, it's not going to be that much later, right? So, could we have a government shutdown that just happens for a week? For a just week, because yeah. I mean, this, might as well. There's yeah, this just gap. A week. Yeah, right. have, they, have they basically guaranteed if Congress, like almost even if Congress isn't going to turn over, right? Uh, have they have they guaranteed that we're going to get a government shutdown that extends from the first of the year until the first couple of days of the new Congress? Right. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's sounds plausible to me, but. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, it is interesting, though, you know, because as of right now, there is no real language, right? There's no bill, but, but from what we're so hearing— So the bill is actually out, apparently. I haven't read it. Oh, is it? Uh, and oh, then okay. I, I, it just came out this evening, and on Twitter I saw somebody tweeting that 
on page 98 or, or 96 or something or page 98 out of a 99 page bill do they finally say the the money line which is uh, we're not going to have debt ceiling problem until January 1st, 2025. Okay. Like they, whatever the first 90 odd pages of it are, are all of the other bullshit. Yeah. And then on the very last page, they're like, oh, and by the way, uh, debt ceiling's solved until I 2025. But e- e- even before getting the full readout of the, the bill, I'm sure we'll get that tomorrow or later this week. Um, it didn't sound like very significant. It seemed like there's like a very reasonable terms. Like it didn't, like didn't seem, I know they're trying to sell it one way or the other, you might even call them negotiated terms. Right. <laughs> right. But it just seemed, you know, uh, uh, in this current environment of like, you know, it was going to be this t- thing, like big thing. Uh, and they're like, you know what? Let's just freeze most things uh, to current level spendings and, the, and then, ex- you know, have regular increases for other things and then claw back some COVID unspent money and then kick the debt ceiling uh issued down the road and that's and there's it. something in there about snap benefits too right. where they're they've increased the work requirements right. for you to be able to get food stamps or something right so yeah so maybe some yeah maybe they needed like one or two things such as that to like for selling purposes but it didn't seem like it was like much happened either way right so does it make you and we can stop talking about this in very short order because it's very boring and stupid. Even as a even as a live news topic, it's very boring and stupid. And now that it's been kicked down the road for a while, it becomes even uh, more boring to talk about. But is this the sort of thing that because this is the – because what, what else has been going on really, right, in national politics? Yeah. They got a month of – of press about this where one side gets to bang on the other and then in turn the other side gets to bang on the other side and they appear to be at loggerheads then they come to some semi-reasonable uh conclusion where they they've solved well not solved but they've ameliorated the problem for the time being right they've 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 kicked it down the road is this the sort of thing now, obviously the stakes are enormous uh, although it's worth pointing out that it's not like the markets were ever seemingly truly freaking out about the possibility is, yeah. of default so that it seems like uh, the financial system largely believed that this wasn't going to be uh, an actual eventuality that happened is this now just one of those political footballs that gets tossed around forever because it's uh, to everyone's mutual benefit to bang on against each other for extended periods of time during otherwise uh, low points in the uh, exciting news cycle and therefore it just stays the way it, the status quo maintains because it's good for everybody. Uh, or is this something that when the assuming that the Democrats, for example, take over in 2025, they could pass some big law that's just like, yeah, there's no such thing as the debt ceiling anymore. We're right. We're going to tie all future budget and anything that we appropriate uh, for the executive to spend is going to be covered uh, in those uh, budgetary negotiations. Do they have any incentive uh, to, to end this sort of brinksmanship? I, I, I do think that uh, whenever they get the votes, they're going to render the debt ceiling meaningless. You know, if, if they can't get rid of it outright, uh, they could at least, like, like you say, tie it to this, you know, whenever you – uh, a new year comes and you have to pass a budget, they'll just tie it to that, say, in order for us to approve this, we have to raise it sufficiently so that it doesn't become a separate problem. Uh, that and- would be re- the responsible thing to do. But what is the political incentive to taking away that well, okay. tool from the Republicans? Because the Democrats believe that this is something that the Republicans do 
that is to the Democrats' advantage to be able to say these assholes are going to are, are willfully playing chicken with the economy, and the Republicans have the incentive of saying, well, we don't want profligate spending and the nation's credit card and all of this nonsense, right? right. So, like, wh- why is, are they responsible enough to say the potential negative outcomes of defaulting on the nation's debts are such that uh, we will take away this thing that sort of helps us in our minds, at least with our base, uh, every six months that it comes up? Well, I mean, you know, if you look at the current nego- this this deal that's uh, that was uh, decided on between uh, McCarthy and, and and the White House, like there was, you know, maybe it's not a significant um, extraction or concession, but there was, you know, like the the SNAP benefit change or uh, COVID unspent money taken back. So, like the debt ceiling, this gimmick produced at least that you know so so on the republican side i can see why they would want to keep it uh and on the democratic side i can see the incentive to 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 again minimize it or render it meaningless by tying it to the spending uh bills that they have right so like to the democrats like there is incentive to try to get rid of this right because otherwise they wouldn't have had to make any concessions at all right they could have just passed the bill uh, each year and pass whatever laws that they could pass uh, with the president uh, in the White House, but they wouldn't have to concede on any grounds here. So, like, there is that's the incentive, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to say about this? Do you think? Because um, you know, there there's going to be factions on either side that, that will not vote for it, right? So it's not going to be like this overwhelming kind of uh, vote split. But there, you know, there's going to be you know the the far right people are going to vote against the some people on the left are going to vote against, but there'll be like 250 maybe. Like, do you, do you think it's going to be a very sizable vote? For, for, for I don't know if they can get if they can get eight or ten Republicans, and that's if that's ultimately all that they need because they only have a smallish number of Democratic defectors. Then I don't think that they're going to end up with very many more than that. Oh, because like there's no adva- there's no there's no upside to a Republican voting yes. Right. On- there's there's some upside for some small number of Republicans who imagine themselves to be or or want to portray themselves as as moderate and common sense conservatives, maybe in bluish leaning districts or purpley yeah, yeah. yeah purpley districts, and want to uh, not you know well whatever I I don't know uh, my guess is that it's it's a safer bet that there will be a smaller amount of. Republicans than so you're uh, thinking, some large number. You're thinking like somewhere near just bare majority. Like the, it the, will pass. It will be around 220 okay. to 230 at okay. the absolute most. Okay. Uh, something like something like that. But I don't know. I could be perfectly wrong that about is, that. Uh, I wouldn't care. That, I isn't that care. Uh, uh, odd that the Speaker of the House who has signed off on this deal, right, who heads the majority, which who are Republicans. Right, certainly won't probably won't bring with him one hundred Republicans <laughs> right. yeah, or something like that. It's crazy right? that, yeah. that he can't something that he's signing. You know, he's trying to sell it. Like he's like, oh man, they hated some of the concessions. You know, like oh the minority uh, leader said, or not the minority leader, but the guy, what's his face, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, was like crying about how they got nothing out of the deal or something. You know, like trying to sell it. You know. Uh, to, right, to and, but and that's fine. But yeah. like, it's so much easier to say I voted against profligate spending in Washington, and that's that's what's going to go on my mailer. Right, that, than it is to give McCarthy the win, especially when the thing's going to pass anyway, because there are eight or ten of right. you Republicans who are willing to do it. All right, I want to sort of talk about this thing that popped up in the news 
this is uh, California-approved recommendations for historic reparations for African-American people. The uh, It was a task force that they had, and they've released a report this past week. And I'll read from this ABC News report. The task force hasn't necessarily endorsed any particular dollar amounts. We just endorsed a methodology that the economists and public policy experts we hired used to calculate the total losses in the areas of health harms, the devaluation of black businesses, housing segregation, mass incarceration, over-policing, and unjust property takings. Uh, Corey Bush was has talked about this in Washington. She's the far-left Republican – or sorry, far-left uh, Democratic far representative left Republican. out of – out of out of St. Louis. Uh, she said, the United States has a moral and legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of Africans and its lasting harm on the lives of millions of black people. Bush said at a press conference on the steps of the U.S. Capitol, when asked how the government would pay out the sum of $14 trillion, which is the number that was, she came up with some number to each individual, which would, which would be $14 trillion to help close the wealth gap between black Americans and white Americans. Uh, she said she's engaged in talks to find the answers. We're still having those kinds of conversations. We're working with this administration. We're talking with other members of Congress. But I'll say this, if we can continue to fund these endless wars or we can continue to put trillions of dollars into forever wars, we're talking about things that are happening now. I don't know if we've ever really gone into reparations at any length on this show before. Yeah, uh, not sure. To me, it feels like something that, while I can talk about it in principle, it always feels awkward to talk about uh, in any sort of way of saying, like, telling someone, no, I don't think you should get a free $100,000 from the government or a million dollars or San Francisco came up with a $5 million number for certain people who would qualify. And there, this is happening in uh, multiple states. There, The chances of a federal black Americans reparations program happening, I think are basically zero. Right. Uh, right. The, there will be reparations packages that pass out uh, from state legislatures from time to time. Uh, there've been a number of them uh, seriously, seriously discussed just in the past year. I wanted to point to something that uh, Glenn Lowry said on his podcast. He has a podcast called the Glenn show. He was uh, discussing reparations with John McCorder, and they they have a lengthy discussion about like the the right wing objections to reparations, the left wing objections to reparations. The right wing, of course, is basically uh, look. There's no such thing as a free lunch, and if you take X number of trillion dollars from one group of people and hand it to X trillion, you know, uh, another group of people. Uh, it's a zero-sum game, essentially, that you're going to take from one group right. and and provide to another. You're going to take from some tax-paying citizen, even if it, even if it, if that's the only way that you can think of it. You're not actually going to like go rob Peter to pay Paul, but you will take from the tax base of uh, a, a wider tax base and give to a smaller amount of people, uh, and that that would be sort of the classic right-wing objection. And then if somebody's like, well, we just print more money and hand it to them, it's very easy to imagine the right-wing objection to that sort of thing, right. uh, which is that modern monetary theory basically insists there is, in fact, such a thing as a free lunch, which uh, stands in the face of all economic theory that we've ever been taught in school uh, up to this point. But then he gets into, and then the left-wing objection to it is generally uh, around class that uh, if we're going to have a true left-wing 
rising up in this country. It's going to require that the, the lower and middle class bind together regardless of their racial status and uh, fight the powers that be that they take on the elites and demand more taxes on the on the highest earners and that that is a more difficult ask to get working class black people and working class white people to unite around a thing if you're going to hand out half a million dollars or something to every person based on the color of their skin. Right. Right. So it, it makes uh, sort of left wing class warfare more difficult. Uh, and then they get into uh, Glenn Lowry. He's a, he's an economics professor at Brown. Uh, he is outspoken on issues of, of race through the years. He gets into uh, his sort of emotional response to being offered reparations. And I'm going to play that clip here. The most depressing thing I've ever seen on race in my lifetime would be if in 50 or 60 cities across the nation, generous reparations payments were given to everybody who chalks themselves up as black. And yet the race debate stayed exactly the way it is with you know the same DEI nonsense and the same apocalyptic vision of the role that racism supposedly plays. It would break my heart to see that happen. And unfortunately... So that's actually... That's McWhorter talking about how... Uh, his main object, like he's sort of generally in favor of reparations as a concept, right. as a as a as an idea. Like it makes sense to him. Like okay, there was slavery, and then there was redlining, and so if you want to pay people, like okay, then I I understand the argument for it. Uh, but he says like that needs to be the end of the story. Like why, if if because his fear is that we would have some amount of money paid out and at the very next day the entire same activist class would say and that's just the beginning right. rather <laughs> rather than saying that uh they wouldn't frame it as we we got what we came for and right. uh the job is done and we can stop having all of these awful conversations about being stratified by race uh that it won't actually have solved any problem and that it will it will only ultimately have made things worse because uh People will feel like, well, we've just handed over all of this money that was supposed to solve the problem, and now you're turning around three days later and saying that it didn't actually solve anything. Like, what the? What's the end game here, people? But then, and then we'll get into what uh, Lowry says now. Okay, uh, we've covered the issue. <laughs> While I have demurred when people have asked me to comment, I think I've commented at a, at length here. I'm, I'm going to say one final thing. I think it's pathetic. <laughs> it's undignified. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Glenn Lowry. I know the view is not going to be widely shared. <laughs> I think running around with your hand out talking about I'm black, you owe me, pay me, is undignified. I think you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. You basically say I'm prostate, prostrate here. I am unable to move forward in the modern world without your recognition of the fundamentally disabling injury that has been done to me, and I demand. Demand based on what? Based on the conscience of the people to whom you are appealing. What power do you have? You're going to burn it down, are you? You demand to be placated so that your tantrum doesn't disturb the dinner party? What do you own? What can you make? What are you doing? This is how you spend your time fashioning ever more elaborate uh, apologia for your own failure? It's pathetic. I will stop it there. Uh, what Lowry expresses there is 
very close to what I would like to express on this topic, but I think would be largely ill-received. And the and I, I, I think that it's not because I'm scared of being called a racist or being called insensitive or something like that. It comes down to a fundamental distinction between uh, the, the, the big sociological picture and the individual psychological state of the one human being, right? Right. And like for me, when I speak, when I think about what my response to reparations would be, were I in the uh, the position to receive them, it would be Glenn Re- Glenn Lowry's position right there, right? right? That he is he is offended by it because his experience of living in this country as a he's a I believe he's in his mid seventies. He uh, is a obviously he's a, a African-American man. I don't know if he calls himself black or African-American. I don't know. He's a black guy. Uh, He's obviously had a great deal of success. He's a very well-renowned professor at Brown uh, and and has uh, succeeded in the field of economics, uh, despite a very troubled young adulthood by by, by his own account. He's got a memoir coming out where he discusses sort of the mess that he was uh, early on in his life. Uh, with regard to uh, substance abuse problems and addiction problems and that sort of thing, uh, but has built a wildly successful life for himself out of what was available to him and what he could take uh, from the world. And yes, uh, with whatever gifts that his sort of natural ability and drive and all of right, the rest, right. but he believes that at least in some small part, he is personally responsible for uh, his lot in life and for the successes that he has had and believes it would be it would be offensive to him to be told here is this pile of money that you didn't earn and i'm just going to give it to you based on the color of your skin so maybe this uh, Lowry guy has other arguments uh that are better. I don't understand. He does. This is at the, this is right. at the conclusion right. of a longer discussion where they talk about the more academic reasons for why he doesn't like it, and then he just explains his emotional psychological gotcha. okay uh, so, response to okay, the question. Okay, so I'll, I'll just address that. So I don't get that argument because first of all, couldn't he make the same argument for anything? Like you know, like the, uh, if you went through the the Japanese internment camp uh, during World War Two. And like you know, once the dust settles and there was an opportunity to seek redress, oh, this, this handout bullshit. Oh, just just go about living, man. Like you, you could say that about anything, right? So I think that the, the, the issue, I think that well, the, his, just real quick, his, just real sorry. quick. The 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 when there's like a government facilitated discrimination, right? And the government still exists, it still functions. There's an argument to be made that there's some responsibility to to correct that right uh how that that takes shape may be different in in one situation over another like with slavery versus like a very specific like internment camp like this happened for like x period of time and there was like some justification given but it ultimately was proved that it was wrong like that one is like okay we can actually we know all the people who were impacted they're still alive let's you know give them 20 grand each or whatever right whereas like generations long of slavery or the Native American experience, like that may take a different form, but like this argument that he's making seems kind of like ass backwards. Like, isn't it like whether or not the government's responsible versus whether you should ask for it specifically? Like I'm confused by like his, his frame of reference is like the point of view of the person 
receiving it. Like that, that part is what's throwing me off. So you're, you think that because we can point to definitive historical facts about redlining, about slavery, right. about the displacement of Native Americans uh, by the federal government, which has uh, got some degree of continuity to it through the years, right. that the question should not even be asked of the individual, <laughs> that rather it is a question of government duty rather than a question of what is owed to the individual at the at the end of the line? Well, right. I mean, basically, it's like, is there an argument to be made that some form of reparations, like, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I, I, so, so what you're saying is that what Glenn is mad about is the activist class who is going right. out and sticking their hand out and demanding this, missing the point of the actual financial responsibility of a government to atone for its sins. Right, and he may conclude that, that you know, it's zero or it's too hard to decipher because, so, you know, so much time has gone. And, like, how, how do you determine somebody – because it's not going to be just because you're black. If you just came from, let's say, Somalia, like, you have no role to – you know, like, none of your people were oh, enslaved, right? that's what right? this is about. So, like, but if you're – like, so, like, is it, like – if there were, like, some sort of definitive, like, this – this is my father and his father and his father before that. In, in somewhere in Alabama, they were enslaved. Like, if there's some sort of direct connection that could be demonstrated, is it going to take that shape, or is the activist class like just saying if you're just black from wherever? I mean, it depends. The, the, there, you have to go look at the individual bills right. and the and the individual plans. Uh, somebody like Cory Bush talks about this in terms of in in totalizing terms, and I think that that's what gets. That's the distinction between the experience of Japanese Americans in World War II and the explanation for why that money was necessary versus the conversation around reparations, which is that with that, as you say, we can point to a specific thing. We don't traditionally think of Japanese Americans as having suffered a great deal of racist discrimination that has stopped them from uh, building wealth in this country right, that but has that's... stopped them from succeeding on the same basic terms that any other replacement level white uh, might succeed. But that's in the, right. In the... But that's what I'm saying. So, like, there's two different issues at hand. Like, there's the who perpetrated this injustice, and like, what was the impact from that, right? Like, and and the impact could be long lasting, and people can talk about like the different like. Uh, you know, wealth that you can create through real estate and, you know, through redlining, you don't have access to the same, you know, opportunities, right? Like, but like, if the, if you can prove that the U.S. government did a thing against a group of people and you can identify that group, then you can then go from there, right? And so like, if the argument can be made that way, it doesn't matter on the other side, like, the individual receiving. Right. This is almost this is almost a question of standing, right? right. It's like in a, in a court of law, right? Can you prove Can you prove that these people have standing, and to and to what degree uh, were they harmed? And I think that it. This is something that I've I've thought about this distinction between talking about things at the individual level versus trying to solve problems at this sort of broad society-wide, almost sociological bird's-eye view of everything. And the, that the, the main divide in our politics is actually not ideological as much as it is 
about where is our focus? Is right. our focus on these sort of broad, hard to get your arms around academic sociological concepts of 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 massive harm and like like sort of trying the, the way that academics try to hold the whole world in their arms and hold the whole world in their brain at once when they create explanations for everything yeah. that on an individual level has absolutely nothing to do with the life of Glenn Lowry, right? right? Say, say what you will about the uh, 100,000 other people who live within 50 miles of him, right? Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. He lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The life of the average black person living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I imagine, is not that of the economics professor at Brown, right? right. Uh, that, that seems unlikely. But Glenn has standing here to make his voice heard on this question, I think, as an individual, right? Yes, of just course. As much, just as much, certainly, as, as anybody else does. And his is a dignity response, right? Like how, it's an almost how dare you insult my dignity and my ability to take care of myself right. and provide for my own family by suggesting that I am do this because of some sins that have been perpetrated against me uh, on through the years. Right. Uh, that is not his experience. He doesn't, and even if he was an injured party here, he does not want to be reliant upon the good conscience of these assholes who were the aggrieved, uh, the aggrieving party in the first place, right? right? He's like, no, you fucked me for forever. I made my life as it's going to be, and I'm not going to take now uh, your apology about how uh, things were before. I've, I've earned my place here, and I'm not going to accept your charity. And I, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset that I fully respect and understand. Uh, even if it doesn't necessarily speak to the broader sociological problem of whether or not this aggrieved or, or this legitimately harmed uh, group of people deserves, quote unquote, uh, to have a big pile of money th thrust upon them by people who didn't have anything to do with it, right? By a, a working class tax base that demonstrably did nothing to harm this other party in the way that they're claiming harm. Right, but I mean, okay, so – that last part, uh, again, couldn't you make a similar case with anything else? I mean, like the taxpayers of the 1960s and whenever the internment camp like uh, reparations happened, there were taxpayers that had nothing to do with the decisions made like a generation prior, right? Right, prior but because it was, but but because it was not such a totalizing thing, because it was just eighteen thousand dollars that speaks to one very right. specific harm done. Then it's like we now we wash our hands of it. It's sort of like what McCorder was able to say. Right. Like yes, uh, Reagan did not pretend like this makes up entirely for the harm that was done, but in a, a token sort of way, in, a, in, in the way that it is still a meaningful gesture, we have we have closed the chapter here, and we don't ever hear now about uh, a more appropriate redress for Japanese-American grievance relative to the internment uh, during World War II. It just simply never comes up. It's, it's almost unthinkable that it would. Right. Whereas if we handed out... Uh, even if you did it in a very minimal sort of way, like, you know, we've talked about like the baby bonus or something like that. Like, I forget the 
the politician or economist who came up with it, but it's like we should give everybody $25,000 in a, a savings bond when they're born. And everybody gets $25,000 savings bond that uh, matures at uh, 18 years old so they can spend it on college or something like that okay. or to put a, a down payment on a house or to buy a car or something along those lines. And it's like uh, it, it, it is a way of leveling the playing field of, of automatically taking the absolute poorest people and making it so that uh, they are not quite so dirt poor uh, once they attain their majority. Imagine doing something like that a relatively small scale for every single black baby that's born. Right. Because of historical harms caused, we're going to set up this program that puts a uh, $50,000 savings bond uh, that if they are able to attain their majority and not be in fucking prison, uh, then right. then they can get that fifty thousand dollars when they turn eighteen, and that's that's the way that we're going to do reparations. Because of the totalizing explanation of white supremacy and the fact that it never goes away, right? That we have uh, slavery and then we have uh, failed reconstruction and then we have the Jim Crow South and the Jim Crow North, for that matter, and then we have the Civil Rights Act, and we still have redlining, and we still have the, the Fair Housing Act problems, and, and, and you can point to, on through the years, ongoing racial strife, uh, and, and, the, and then the sociologists will really start coming in and saying just being in a black body uh, does demonstrably material harm to the psychological and physical health of these individuals so that they're at uh, a deficit even in their ability to earn because they're so uh, beaten down by the white supremacist structure around them. Right. Uh, would any of those people be satisfied with a $25,000 or $50,000 uh, savings bond for all black babies uh, that they can collect on as a form of reparations? No. no. It would be this is a drop in that bucket because we still have so much work to do. Right. So I, I, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. But again, the, the problem that I have is that there, there are separate issues at hand and like, you know – Yes, uh, some activist person, it will never be enough. That's fine. I'm just talking about the actual argument. I, I can my, – my position is that it's, it's impractical to actually carry out. There isn't no – there's no way to actually do this. The, the fuck-up was so great uh, over such a long period of time that there is no way to, to do reparations in the way that – most people think of it like, you know, internment camps or some other thing, right? Where like, hey, we're going to cut a check to this person, right? I think that there isn't a practical way to do it. But like like as far as the art – It's also it's also like to the average asshole, spectacularly unjust, right? It's just not fair. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one saying that. Right. But that is how it will play to the majority of Americans. So – but if you can't put a dollar amount on it, which is – like Abe is saying, it's not practical, then, like, can there be an affirmative action thing in an official way? Because you can't put a dollar amount on it, like, what can we do instead? We have done that. We've had affirmative action in this country for decades. But not officially. Not as national policy. I mean, there have been... Uh, I'm not saying it, we should. I'm just saying, like... But, you know, I, w I will say, like, c couldn't the, the, the right answer... I always just thought, like, just say that a, a great injustice was, was perpetrated against, like, a lot of people. Like, there's no way to unfuck that, right? And, and going forward, just have whatever programs you're going to have, have it just be needs-based, right? Because in the, just help the people who need the help 
today and go forward, right? Like, and yeah, that sounds nice to the three of us, but you bring Republicans in. And they hate that. It's not just Repu- – so it's fine. You're always going to have Republicans who don't want big government spending, right? That's always going to be the case. It's but it's not, not, the, spe- it's not it's the Republicans not just big who have- government spending that they don't want. It's helping people who need things that they don't want. Yeah, that's one way to frame it. But, but I mean, I, I, and I, don't, I don't feel like making the ideological argument for small government because I, I – whatever uh, – the Republicans don't even bother making the ideological <laughs> argument for small government anymore. They just sort of pretend that they don't want to That's spend six I'm trillion saying. dollars a year. But I, I think that there is a there is something to the idea that uh, a smaller central government that allows that 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 offers a hand up rather than a handout, to use uh, the, the obnoxious terminology of, of previous candidates and presidents. Um, I think there is a, a valid point there to be made. I don't care to make it. I think the the, the thing that holds back a massive reparations program from happening is not Republicans. Republicans will be against it, obviously. Right. It's that there's not actually a big amount of will on the other side for a program like this because it would be so alienating to large portions of their own constituency. It's just not something that is feasible. It's just not workable because there is no small enough number that doesn't feel like an insult that would actually be workable, that would actually solve any of the problems, just like there's not a big enough number that would that we could just come up with. Like $14 trillion, that is half the size of the current federal – the debt of the United States, right? right. We, we The GDP is only $20 trillion a year right now, U.S. GDP. So that's a full – near – it's yeah. – it's, yeah. Two-thirds of the full capacity of the United States economy for one year. It's completely absurd to say we're going to transfer that much wealth simply to from, from white America to black America. It's insane. But I think the, 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 the issue of reparation seems to only serve like two purposes. One is just to kind of like uh, animate like the, the activists who are for it, right? Uh, and then also to piss off the people who – Think of it like, oh, why am I paying for some other person's misdeeds or whatever, right? But on any like polling that you see, reparations not like some hot button issue. This is not like, it doesn't rate among like the concerns of like most people. Like most people don't think that this is actually ever going to happen, right? So the only reason why this is ever brought up is just to kind of animate like those two groups that I mentioned. And it's like, but but if you just focus on the argument at hand, like you can reach whatever conclusions you want. Uh, why not just help the people who need the help today and just let that be the legacy? And, 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 and regardless, you know, don't tie it to like you have to be like black or this other group. Just right, you're right. already and in I, the group. You're already in the group. You're, you're, you're broke or you don't have whatever you need. And, and like as far as that uh, argument, as far as limited government, to me I always find it kind of absurd because like it's like – not take into consideration the conditions on the ground. Shouldn't the government meet the moment? Like if, if the need is great, shouldn't there be more assistance? And if the need is not there, don't have it? I mean you're almost like – Right, I don't but that's, care. Why, that's why any ideology that meets with reality and doesn't have some give to it right. is a failed ideology, right? right? I mean it's, that's fine. I think, that, I think that what you're saying there is something that Lowry uh, – though you objected a great deal to what uh, uh, Lowry said in his 
sort of angry response to even the notion of reparations. It's probably something that he would largely, even though he is uh, he leans conservative, right. like a, a, a needs based, non color coded uh, way of helping people out of poverty is exactly the sort of thing that he would be uh, more okay with right. than a, 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 a system that only hands money out to black people based on the color of their skin. Right. So I think that he, you would agree with him there uh, ultimately or rather the other way around. Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree that this is something that only comes up because it allows the loudest voices on either side to animate themselves and, and to get angry about it. And it's not something that's ever going to right. meaningfully happen. I don't think Although, in this country. Uh, so what, what's going on in California then? Like, wasn't there some sort of motion that passed in like one city? Like they're trying to do something. Well, San Francisco, San Francisco's come up with some $5 million number, but the specifics of it are very strange where it's like, it has to be, you have to have lived there for X amount of time. You have to have, you have to have identified as black for X amount of time. Identified. Like, I know, it's right. It's very complicated. Um, you don't have to be black. And I don't, What's that? You don't have to be black. You just have to identify as black. Well, it depends, right? So, do, are you? What percentage of you is black? What uh, oh, okay. are you? So, if your mother is like, like will, white and your father is black, it doesn't count or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I thought that we sort of briefly talked about the San Francisco reparations thing a couple months ago. I can't remember now, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, California's reparations tax task force has approved payments of more than one million dollars to eligible black residents. I don't know what the force of law is on that uh, moving forward or when. Here we go. The task force's next and final meeting will be on June 29th when the report will be released to the California legislator. Its supporters hope the report will be the foundation of a state bill which could go into the legislature for a vote by the end of 2023 or early 2024. I don't think that it is means-based. I think it's just uh, skin-based. So Steph Curry can, in theory, get some. Presumably, yeah. (laughs) I would imagine that he would be uh, taxed at a significantly higher rate than the average person who received uh, such a payout. All right. In the same vein, and again, I didn't fully explicate it, but I think that there's something to this divide between trying to come up with big sociological solutions to problems that will be reacted to by people with unique individual psychologies, right? In that same vein, I was listening to the the podcast, The Fifth Column, which is uh, co-hosted in part by a guy named Camille Foster, uh, also a black guy. I'm letting, letting all the podcasting black guys speak for me tonight, apparently, uh, which is funny because I never let Abe speak for me. Yeah, that's, I was going to say, you have a podcasting black There's a guy right there. I see him. They were discussing what we were discussing last week, and our podcast dropped first, uh, which made you me... going to make me listen to this again? Made me feel greatly relieved. Uh, but they were having a conversation about the... Oakland A's broadcaster, Glenn Kuyper, who lost his job because he uh, slurred his way into a slur, as as you might formulate. Uh, But but Camille Foster got quite worked up about it. And I'm just going to play a clip from uh, the fifth column. Apologies for the horrible sound quality in advance. The aspect of it that disturbs me most, because I did get people in the industry reaching out to me today and, and disagreeing and saying, no, 
Like, it's just got to be, that's got to be the verdict. That's got to be what happens. That's the red line. You know, you got to go. I understand he, he meant it accidentally. And I said, look, 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 I don't think he should have been fired. And you think he should have been fired. And I think you're crazy, mm-hmm. but that's not even what disturbs me about this. Mm-hmm. What disturbs me about this are the other announcers who messaged me today. That's mm-hmm. what disturbs me is that I'm being messaged by people who are in the industry and who are established and feel bad because they want to defend Glenn Kuyper, but they're, they're scared to, yeah. and they're probably justifiably scared to yes. do it. What the fuck is that? Well, well if, you screw, up, if you screw up a word and you get fired, imagine if you come and defend someone, that's just as flimsy. Yeah. I imagine, I'll, right? tell you, I'll tell you, Ethan, yeah. I, I don't know that it is justifiable, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, the do it. The displays of cowardice that I encounter on a regular basis from so many fucking people who are in these circumstances professionally, personally, where someone says something and they feel like, oh, you know, this is this is an injustice. This is wrong. What's happening here? But I'm afraid. I'm afraid, so I won't say anything about it because I, I don't want to stick my neck out for this guy. I mean, I, I might get in trouble too. The, the approach really has to be what can we do here? What can we do effectively to support this person who has been egregiously wronged and have some chance of success and not get ourselves into further trouble? Is it possible that we might be able to, say, coordinate our action and as a group, like, speak out against this and perhaps even nominate someone who might be impervious to criticism on this for speaking out? forcefully in defense of a person who has been and conducted themselves in an honorable manner professionally for decades in some cases. Like that is what you do. The cowardice, Mm -hmm. the excuse that something bad might happen to me. Well, you deserve something bad to happen to you. You are inviting it because of your public cowardice. Mm -hmm. So I don't allow it anymore. I don't allow it anymore. I don't think it is defensible to worry about this if you're not willing to do something about it. Because if you're okay, worried about it I'm, and you won't do something about it, you are actually part of the problem that Coward was contributing to the decline of civility and this, this kind of fundamental notion of us kind of recognizing one another as fellow humans who are deserving of a modicum of grace and understanding. And I just, I just can't. Can't anymore. I can't tolerate it, Ethan. Mm. Tell them for me that they are cowards. <laughs> well, all right, I'll stop it there. He got uh, worked up about the fact that a lot of Glenn Kuyper's fellow broadcasters had written into this Ethan Strauss guy who who wrote an article about the whole ordeal, saying like I feel terrible, but I don't think that I'm in a position where I can speak out in defense of Glenn Kuyper because of what that would mean for me. And my own personal professional prospects, to say nothing of the the sort of social death that might come with saying something, uh, defending him. And like Lori got worked up, not worked up, but Lori was like rolling her eyes at the idea that we were even going to talk about this last week. And when I heard what Camille said there, it justified for me the idea that we should even talk about it at all. Like as silly as it is, it is a small little podcast, me and my friend, and who knows how many small amount of people are are listening. But people who recognize that something horribly unjust is being done here out of an absurd deference to 
the worst people in the world and 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 the 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 sort of allowing the cowardice of the HR department at some fucking NBC affiliate in Oakland to determine uh, this guy's future because they're they don't want to get a whole bunch of emails that they would then have to respond to uh, because they didn't take appropriate action emails from a totally fucking astroturfed uh, group of like people who aren't actually mad who are certainly not injured who certainly don't have standing in any meaningful way uh, you know who, who could not demonstrate any way in which they were they were harmed by the thing that happened or by Glenn Kuyper after an abject apology being allowed to keep his job moving forward uh, that to not say anything about that uh, is is cowardice and I agree with Camille there and it's and it sounds ridiculous and it's a disgusting thing for me to even think but it's it's why i pronounce the syllables of the bad word not on purpose not to be rude not to try to like howard stern my way into into getting a rise out of people but i pronounce the syllables of the bad word when it feels appropriate to to make myself clear to be as non-euphemistic as possible as we've talked about on the show before to speak clearly and to tell the truth i will pronounce the syllables of the various bad words that i said on the show multiple times last week uh, that i don't feel compelled to say right here because it would just feel gratuitous right, right? we all know what i'm talking about i've already put the words in your head right, right? so i've already done if there's a sin to be done here i've committed the sin already right but even by not pronouncing it right now you can hear it in your stupid head right. <laughs> you can hear it so this so i have already sinned in the only way that that i could possibly have sinned in this case right, right? because i whatever that so that's why i say the word when i when i feel the need to say it and i don't apologize for it i will happily have a conversation defending my reasoning for using the word as i do uh, or or the various other offensive words that i might use uh but it feels and it 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 doesn't feel like courage to me. I don't, I'm not trying to put myself up as some sort of a, a courageous model to be followed. It just feels like telling the honest truth uh, when when so much of the world is insisting that we we have to tell weird lies about things. And and I, I really and you could sort of hear if you if you listen to Camille at all, you can hear him getting sort of very passionate and emotional about this subject. And it was. It was validating to me right. uh, to hear him speak in that way after having decided to talk about something that uh, we treated with a great deal of humor and, and, and the absurdity for which it is, but I still think is actually something important to say uh, when you encounter it in the world. Don't you think that this situation with, I don't want to say cancel culture, because but sort of that, but like that everyone is so sensitive and everything has to be exactly right is in lieu of reparations. Oh, this is like like the... it's all that they have. Is Who's like, the they? I don't know who they is. Because <laughs> the they is largely... I don't know, but that's the point. Obnoxious like, white people. Because <laughs> everything seems so unfair, it's just like people are fed up and just not taking it anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. And that was that's why while 2020 felt justified uh, and the and the sort of societal convulsion as a result of of George Floyd and the protests that followed 2012, 2020, I said, oh, Uh, while that was uh, understandable, 
it doesn't mean that anything rational is going to come no, out of that sort of convulsion. Of course not. Yeah. But because there's no concrete way to make things better, it's just this mess. There is a concrete way to make things better, and it's to treat each other with individual respect and dignity. That doesn't sound concrete to me. <laughs> you know, that sounds very abstract. Uh, you know, the uh, I would you know first I I would not characterize it as cowardice. Like I I imagine the feeling that the people who are sending these messages in the background uh, and not are, are not coming out and sharing what they feel uh, is a sense of futility. Like. It is a futile act to say anything, right? I mean, like, what is, what is the point? Like, I, I, I don't get what the point would be to 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 stand in front of somebody else getting railroaded. Uh, and the second point well, the is, point, uh, uh, real quick, yeah. the point of an I am Spartacus moment is that everyone has to I am Spartacus, right? right? That that if only but no one's if seen only, that anymore. If only three people I am Spartacus, Bob, do you have... then those people are all getting the Glenn Kuiper, <laughs> yeah. right? They're not they're not actually fixing right. anything. Right, but Bob, do you have? If you're uh, one of these uh, guys and gals uh, that are sharing these messages, would you have any confidence that anyone else would come to your to your side by going first? Like, it, like it's kind of like this. I don't know. I'm not a public facing right. person person in the way that these people are, but I cannot imagine being me doing that job and not continuing to be me, right? right. And maybe we all but play. You Maybe we all play politics uh, in certain ways, and if I were a different person who had a fucking job, uh, <laughs> who had something at stake here, because and I've I've thought about this slightly, just in the context of being a little league baseball coach this season, which is like I don't tell anybody about my podcast in part because I don't want. Right. The whole Little League to know about my podcast and then to have somebody listen and take something out of context and use that to say, this guy's a real fucking piece of shit. Right. Especially because half the podcast is about Little League now. And we don't want our kids around him, right? right? right. That would be uh, personally devastating for me in a way that I wouldn't uh, be able to recover from in our small little community here, right? right. Like it, it would be it would be terrible. So I don't know. I don't know how I would behave if I had a job calling San Francisco Giants games and my buddy who calls games uh, across the Bay Area for the Oakland A's uh, got railroaded out of town because of uh, accidentally saying the wrong syllables uh, while he was expressing a great love of this particular uh, history museum. Uh, but I hope that I would have – I think – in in that moment, that would be a display, not necessarily of courage, but of fortitude of character, of of saying the thing that you know is true and right and good, and and sticking by it and sticking by uh, a, a friend and and someone that you can easily imagine yourself in that exact position, right? Because that's what it comes down to. But for the grace of uh, a, a betrayal of your own lips and brain, go I, right? right? But but for the stupid mistake on a hot mic uh, that can be taken out of context, all of us are susceptible to this sort of attack, the, potentially. You know, uh, the discussions that are uh, uh, being had in... in, in uh in the media circles, you know the, the the people that he's referring to, does that does that not lend credence to the thinking that there's a chilled kind of atmosphere where like you can't say certain things, or else it'll be misconstrued? Isn't uh, like uh, Jamel Bowie? I know I keep on saying Jamel Bowie. I don't mean just him, but like the people who minimize that this is actually even happening, 
do they not? Right. The idea that cancel culture doesn't exist right. at all is utterly the the lie is put to that by this right. sort of thing happening. Right. So, like, yeah. I mean, do they think that they're making this up? This is, I don't know this for sure, but I am certain that this actually happened. People, are like, oh, that's ridiculous. But I'm not going to say anything because it's not worth you know uh, doing anything. Uh, I do wonder though, like, was there a I know we've talked about this before. Was there really a groundswell of like support for a firing? Like if they had just said uh, suspension, wouldn't that have been the end of it? Like, do you think it would have been? But it doesn't need. There doesn't need to be. There is the. There is. There is an understanding. It is. It is in the atmosphere, and it, it wouldn't. It doesn't take a groundswell. It just takes the right weapon to be raised. Right. right? It doesn't take a hundred million people getting angry about something. It takes. Two guys on first take to get angry right. about it, right? right? And because if you pick up that weapon, if you pick up that spear, that is the this is a white supremacy perpetrated by NBC Sports Oakland. Then you've won the game, right? right? It is the threat of that even being uh, leveled against you that that determines your action ahead of right. time. Right, and 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 that's what's uh, and what's troubling is that like. You can weaponize that. I mean, on the other end of things, you know, these two things are not relate. You know, they're not the same thing. But like, you can weaponize like a, a few people getting pissed off at like rainbows in 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 clothing at like a Target, right, or a, a Kohl's, or what. Like the, the last few weeks, it's just been the one story after another where just Yahoos are making a big thing about like some shirt, right? Like because you can gin up that sort of thing. Like you can weaponize this sort of thing into action and i think it's just like everybody needs to just kind of chill and relax don't be don't kind of give in to this kind of thinking because like it's just gonna get worse it's not gonna get any better i would say like the fever will eventually break the this current like environment where everybody is kind of like afraid these things don't last forever they kind of come and go uh but this overreacting to every except, little thing except as you point out only recently has the right sort of learned these tactics in the same way, right? Like only only in the last couple of years have they started to uh the the what's his name? The Chris Rufo and the right. uh, which the Chris Rufos of the world who are informing the Ron DeSantis's of the world in the way that they do culture war stuff. These are tactics that they are learning to deploy on their own, right? So the same sort of atmosphere that determines that the fucking stupid HR assholes at NBC Sports Oakland uh, didn't need to hear the threats from people to know that they couldn't put Glenn Kuyper back on the air is what's going to drive fucking Coles or Target or whoever from putting up – it's going to stop them from putting up a pride display next year right. because of the inevitable backlash. And to be fair, the whole thing is being ginned up. Like the reason that – Target feels a need to have a big pride display at the front of the store is because of the activists on the other side who are threatening to take away their badge of uh, this corporation is a good corporate citizen for uh, the LGBTQ plus community, which is just a little uh, icon that they can put on their website, right? So you can go to glad.org or whatever, and you can see the long list of the acceptable corporations who who do the right thing. And it's that's all entirely being driven by an activist class on this side, which is now going to be at war with the activist class on the other side. And I can assure you of only one thing, and that is that it will be very fucking stupid right. uh, to have to witness from the outside. But not only stupid, but I, I don't get about these people who are, unless they just want to just, just want to 
watch things kind of blow up if they're just into that. Uh, but like, you're not advancing your cause. You're just making like corrosive actions have corrosive outcomes. You make everything worse as a result of your. Of, it's of a religious actions. fervor, Abe. It's, it, it, is, it is just a new religion, and that's how it functions for both sides. You don't need to advance the cause of God to go to war for God because you have all of the weight of moral and divine righteousness on your side. And I that would is, know more about that, but we, you didn't read St. Augustine, so <laughs> what good are you? That's what the people on the left are doing, and that's what the people on the right are doing. It's not it, – it, it is a displacement of the traditional human instinct for religion into the public sphere of, of like everyday commerce and just the way that we live with one another in a way that makes pluralistic society uh, functionally impossible, right? right? Like, like we had uh, – for a long time, these were separate – the church and state were truly separate uh, domains – in in ways that it's just not the case anymore because we've eliminated the church as a as an outlet for uh, this sort of religious instinct. I think, and, I, and as talk about big sociological uh, pronouncements in a in a podcast in which I'm I'm denouncing such things. But what are you going to do? Are you calling for the return of like a organized religion? It's like a that's what it sounds like, Abe. <laughs> Would it be so bad? Like if what. Isn't it isn't it preferable well, if all what? of these assholes because they're st- because humans are going to need uh, clearly we need this sort of fucking release I don't right. I have never needed it if I everybody was, could am, be Catholic am, and keep to themselves it would be fine but that's not what happens these religious people bother you I actually have a great deal of gratitude for having been raised Catholic because it gave me this uh, aside from sort of the the basic education in what I would still argue is like the only true Christian religion, which because it's it's got the continuity. It's the the Catholics have been Ooh. have been doing it for a long time. You born agains are are full of shit. You <laughs> Protestants are just this this uh, break off sect. You're you're bogus. You're full of shit. Fucking Church of England, get out of here. Um, but uh, would it be so bad to sort of uh, allow? Because at this point, there aren't a lot of liberal types who still make a point of going to religious service like it, it seems like it used to be like okay we're episcopalian we're sort of generally whatever we are we because go because they've stopped pretending to believe and pretend things right and that, now since uh, you 2012 you can't make someone pretend to believe in something 2014 i guess is probably a better uh, place to put it but like since ferguson since uh it feels like we have allowed that that sort of religious fervor to uh, take hold in our national politics, and it's easier to just pin it to the trumpeting, and that ultimately is where it will be, where it will be pinned, probably on on the broader term. But I don't know. Uh, every the- everything cannot be this fraught. This is the main is the first thing that we started talking about when we started the podcast. Everything is way too fraught. Every little right. aspect of our lives has been overrun with politics in a way that uh, it simply wasn't the case before, right. and, and it I used think- to be better. It's almost entirely because of the internet. I mean, like everything is the internet plus social media. Right. Because the internet is great and totally fine. Yeah. But social media is the problem. Right. But you can everything's like it just serves as an accelerant to everything. I do wonder though, you know, like uh, with the religion angle, I do find it interesting that there is some 
other functions besides the believing, you know, the top line, like this story from a long time ago, I believe, right? Um, there's also these other functions that it served. Uh, and, and, and when people got away from the organized religions, like all of those other things went away too. And, and they're like trying to replace it in these other ways. And, 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 and I don't know if that's a factor or not as to where people are trying to find like a dogmatic kind of way to go about doing things like in anything else, like in environment, instead of like environmental, environmental policy, just being like, Hey, this is kind of fucked up. Let's try to change. It's like, it becomes this big thing. Uh, well, or, it's just cause right. some people, people are need, more prone to religion. They're right. prone, whether it's some people just religion or other right. stuff. Right. They have a desire for purpose and meaning yes. that I just, I don't, I don't need the a desire for purpose and meaning if it means that like uh, there are more bike lanes and people don't have to drive everywhere all of the time, right? right? Like it doesn't, you don't have to frame that in like stark ideological or existential terms to get me to be like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should try that for a couple of generations and see how it works out. Right. Uh, we don't have to always be, as we've said on the show before, not everything has to be about saving the world all the time. Right. Or maybe, you know, the, the, maybe it's also, I don't know, hobbies. Like, do people have hobbies anymore? Do people do other things, you know, besides? No, they have social media. Yeah. So it's like that. It's like all the all the time, like away from like family obligations and work or school seems to be like social media or something that's not like very healthy as far as a habit or a hobby. I mean, I assume that there are lots of people who just don't or who treat social media as this sort of small little part of their lives. But the ones who do, because of the way the media is itself a product, like the, the, the mainstream press is a product of a reaction to social media, right? Like, even if social media doesn't play this huge role in the lives of the average asshole, it continues to, it will play a disproportionate role in our understanding of the culture because of it's like it's just the easiest way right yeah like we used yeah. to only know what americans think by uh rasmussen or or, or uh, gallup gets out there and asks them right it's like oh yeah new gallup poll we're gonna yeah. find out what americans think this year it's like meanwhile the your average cnn uh segment producer can just as an old buddy of mine used to say, just go hit Twitter with a stick and see what uh, shakes free. And now all of a sudden, that's what Americans think. Right. Hopefully, and it's probably not. Hopefully, the robots, you know, like how every like account online is like a bot. Hopefully, the robots they would be t- a great title for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, the robots uh, overrun the social media uh, spaces to where like – the only place that humans can go to know that they're speaking to another human is real life. Like, let's go back to the way it was. Like, all right, internet, we'll just go back to just being I a like resource. That. And then, because, you know, if you're, like, interacting with people, like, how do you have any confidence that you're talking to anybody that's a human? You know, all of, the, like, Twitter I mean, always gets worse and worse. I mean, it's always been terrible. But right, like, except the robots will, be, will become so proficient and efficient at communicating with humans that why would we like they they will figure out the way to maximize engagement in the same way that fucking facebook did a few years ago they'll save us from ourselves ah, it seems really unlikely it will more likely it's be the, the opposite. number one rule of robots <laughs> do you have anything uh further to add or or to push back against when when i was talking about my reason for uh, pronouncing the words like am I am I am I justifying my behavior in a way am I allowing Camille's uh, righteous indignation here 
to stand in for my desire. I know I'm asking a question that is there anything to my desire to have these sorts of conversations? I'm not asked. That's why it's the opposite of what I'm asking for. Is there anything to my desire to have these conversations in an honest way that matters at all? Right. Like because to some extent it feels like it probably doesn't. Right. Like it, it almost certainly doesn't. And the potential harm of I remember I took a joke out of the first run of this podcast because I imagined one of my black friends hearing me make that joke and not appreciating the full context of it. Right. And even though it wasn't a racist joke, it was, in fact, a racist thing to say in isolation. Right. And so, like, uh, and, I, and I edited it out of the podcast because of my fear that it would hurt somebody's feelings, this person that I knew. Right. Uh, I don't know that I would do that again anymore, and I don't know why, except as a— Because you're thinking of having fewer into, friends now. Except as a reaction to the broader problems as I see them. And I don't—and I again, I didn't identify the broader problems as a justification for even having that conversation last week, but to there's a method to the, the, the things that I choose to talk about and and the things that I'm interested in. I, yeah, it's to some extent. This is just me justifying myself, I suppose. I don't but know. you know, also, I mean, it is. I, I think your approach is a sound one. Uh, y- you know, it, it's easily defensible. Uh, I think all words are available for all people to use. I, don't, I, I never really understood the like certain people can't say certain things thing. Even though I understand why people say it, I just like just fundamentally, I don't get that because really it's like if you're hurling a, 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 an insult like the intention is the issue not like the word itself uh but as to me this comes across as like as just a this un uh just like we'll just settle for this thing this imperfect solution uh and and, and go from there my thinking is there are so many words available i'll just use other words but i don't have any problem with how people go about using words like I, I that's not something that never registered to me as any kind of thing um, it's just so condescending it's so like to me it, it it's just so condescending of me to euphemize in that way when again i can't get past the idea that if i say the f word or if i say the r word or if i say the n word right. like using those as euphemisms pronounces the syllables in your head as surely as if I had spoken them myself. So I don't know. I cannot even imagine the good that is being done by not allowing the syllables to escape my lips. But humans are very, like, quirky types. You know, like, even though what you're saying is exactly true, I think it's – Louis C.K. had, like, a bit similar to to this or was covering this point where, like, if you say the – it's like you're putting that in my head. Like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you – like. Because that's exactly what you mean. Now, you, you, you know, you said uh, you're rattling off the different like letters, but like there are two F words now, right? Like, so it's like you, it's kind of right, hard. But I can say fuck without concern, right? Okay, and so, I you, do, do you think, uh, so you think when people say the F word now, they never mean fuck? You think it's just fag? That's all it is? Unless there's children present. Okay. Yeah, because like the other it's just like, I don't know, like at some point it's going to become to like we can't communicate anymore because uh, I, we just I can't. Don't, we don't need to. Yeah. If it's if it's that big of a problem, then just don't communicate. That's right. it, it's right. I mean, it's I, over. I, again, I don't like to make the broad 
what is there's a 1984 quote that or or something along those lines that goes something like the the power of or maybe it's just a an aphorism of some sort but there's like the power of the state to uh silence speech is not it's not all of the speech that is said and then punished it's the speech that is unsaid because people know that saying it is going to get them in trouble right, right. so it's it's the it's the soft sort of suppression of thought that is actually uh, the 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 concerning thing to be, or, or the 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 method of control that we should actually be concerned about. Uh, all of this stuff was not to say that it makes it any better or, or worse, but like this has been a thing forever, right? Like there are certain words that people can't it can't like spell God or whatever. Yeah. You can't say this word, and in polite company you don't say these. It's like there's all these like goofy rules that humans are always operating under. So I don't think this is that different from that. Uh, it's just like I we're was just, just like thinking that exact exp- thing. We're experiencing it. It's just like icky, but like if you read it in a book, it's like, oh, those weirdos, they didn't say right. that word. Blasphemy goes back as as for all of human history, yeah. basically, right? The, this notion of blaspheming against the most powerful alleged creature uh, in the universe is – and it, it's, an, it's always been an absurdity to me, but I guess uh, – I guess you're right. I guess there is there's something there's sort of profoundly human about that sort of prohibition. Which I don't. Yeah. Get, I do wonder, like it's, that group that, that that pushes for that. Like, what is it that makes like? Ooh, I don't want to even think about it. Like, so I'm going to make everybody else also not think about it. Like, it's just this weird. It's, maybe it's like a reptilian lizard part of our brains that's like. I guess it's not. It's not any. It's not anything that I obviously either one of us has <laughs> any understanding of, and like it's. The reason that we can sit here and have these sorts of conversations uh, week after week, I'm sure. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Brainiron.com is the best place, and you can find a show note there. Uh, in theory, I now occurs to me that I wrote uh, show note to come in my rush to get the show posted last week before uh, running off for uh, various errands. Uh, probably baseball-related errands. and You I have don't... six hours during the day. Six hours. I, I, what I'm saying is that I posted the show, which it takes me a chunk of the day to get the show edited and, in, believe it or not, uh, make it make us sound better than we deserve to sound. Uh, and then I posted it and I had to run out of the house, so I said show note to come. And I'm, I'm not denying that I've had free time since then. I'm simply six saying... hours. First, I... Can I finish the fucking story, lady? I'm simply saying that it slipped my mind that I had not successfully uh, completed the show note. Uh, it was it was out of sight, out of mind, and I did not go back and add the relevant linkage to the bottom of that episode page. So uh, I apologize for that. If anybody out there uh, listened and couldn't find the relevant linkage, I will try to remedy that this week. In addition to the show note for this week's episode, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. You can find him at tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Abe, I understand you went to the movies this week. I did, yeah. So uh, the uh, live-action remake of The Little Mermaid was uh, out okay. this week. Uh, did you treat yourself to the original first no, or not? No, I still have not seen the originals. I just wow. wanted to kind of take this in. Wow. And wow. <laughs> I'm, now, I'm now very much interested in seeing the original because 
the movie was, you know, serviceable. I mean, it's just some half woman, half fish thing. So it's like, whatever. Um, the, 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 the transition into the songs were a little clunky. Um, wasn't that long? Isn't it? Yeah, it was like two hours plus. Yeah. It yeah. Was, the the movie is only like it's like pretty quick ninety, 90 minutes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Old Disney. That nineties Disney is ninety minutes. That's that, yeah. it. Yeah, it would not have hurt at all if this were ninety minutes. I mean, that that would have been perfectly fine. Javier Bardem, just every time he's on screen, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you just in a Who scoopy? is he? He's he's the father of the the, the mermaid. King Triton. Yeah, that guy with the, the little uh, okay. fork. Yeah, that that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he, you know, he was just kind of going through his lines. He wasn't like that into the movie, but the movie was fine. I mean, the kids, all the people that are in the theater was like packed with a bunch of kids, like little kids. Um, so a bunch of kids. Yes. And and just and, you and, by and yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. So you know, I go to just about any kind of movie. You know, for the most part, and and the yep. audience changes around me. It's like me almost always. Uh, sit in the same seat and the people around me is always different uh this one was just just kids like just kids everywhere yeah. by the way i will say mostly well behaved you know i mean this was i heard maybe good. one kid cry for like a, a couple of seconds but pretty good uh job on on their part made like a almost 100 million i think yeah right? it, it, not yeah because i mean the theater i said literally packed the theater was just packed as much you know like you know like a top gun type of uh, opening like, there's just a lot of people in the you can't find park parking spot like outside it's just one of those kind of things like so not a great sign if we want disney to stop doing this bullshit <laughs> i guess disney's not going to stop doing this yeah do you want to do one i have a lot of information on disney no we don't want to talk okay. about okay well we could i just i know a lot the, 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 uh, this anything is, else? Just this just is, the Little Mermaid. Well, I, I, I was watching the Stalker thing on Netflix, but uh, real quick, this this is just a, a nitpicky thing on on my end. Uh, but like this happens not just in the cartoon movies that Disney comes out, uh, also like in like musicals of uh, uh, other variety. I don't like it when like okay. in the plot, the story is like one person doesn't want to do something, and the other person like will try to convince them in song and dance. Um, and, and then the other person who's not convinced takes part of the argument in the song. And like in, in this version, the little mermaid's like, I want to go up there with the, the humans, you know? And, uh, yeah. this crab or somebody was like, Oh, yes. just stick around here. And Oh, uh-huh. by the way, they go into this, uh, under the seas thing. Right. And yep. as the song uh-huh. begins, I'm like, Holy shit. That's like from the Simpsons. And this is like, Probably oh, the babe. 100th example of, like, even when <laughs> okay. The Simpsons don't do it first, my experience of it is always The Simpsons having done it right. first. And, like, Homer Simpson had an okay. under-the-sea sequence. Yeah. And okay, that's did where they, it came from. Does the, the Little Mermaid, spoiler alert, in the animated version during the under-the-sea Song, yeah, she fucks off halfway through. She well, in, in this live action one, she fucked off at the very as, as soon as it ends. He's okay. like, Where did she go? and she was gone. So, but she was there for yeah. all of it, just like, doop, doop, doop. Yeah, under the sea is okay. great. It's like, so yeah. it's she was playing along, yes, in order to then fuck off. She, perhaps that was her little shtick, her she right, left it was part of her ruse, right? Yeah, but yeah, it, I know what you're talking about, though. Oftentimes, people have an actual argument in song. in musicals right uh it seems a little silly and contrived but uh then again it's a musical (laughs) (laughs) but the the target audience i wasn't one of them um, how was uh, 
How was Ursula? Because Ursula was played by. Uh, oh yeah, Megan uh, what's McCarthy. her face? Uh, McCarthy. Megan McCarthy. Yeah. 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 Sean Spicer. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. Was she was she good? Was she? She she was fine. She just complained. I I I think I need to in order to get a better sense of how they did this one. Uh, I need to right. see the original source to see. Yeah, like, I think that the the target audience is literally everyone except people who haven't seen The Little Mermaid. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yes. Disney is what's funny is like Disney could have put. Uh, uh, a big fat drag performer as Ursula because Ursula is she's a big fat drag performer. she's a big fat drag octopus in the in the animated film she's and uh, they could have really type, caused yeah. a, a big stir in the current uh, <laughs> cultural environment Melissa McCarthy Melissa McCarthy Melissa, that's it yeah. not not Megan whatever we Megan said Megan McCaffrey was yeah. a girl that I used to know um, but I guess they didn't want to go down that road uh, so it, it, it's a movie. I think it was your. That's your final assessment, right? Yeah, it's a it movie. was serviceable movie. If you're a kid, I'm sure you would like it. If you're an adult, may, maybe less so. Okay. Well, you need to watch The Little Mermaid, yeah. you maniac. Did we watch anything besides? We sure did, Abe. For you. Yes. For you. All right. We watched Milf Manor. <laughs> <laughs> Bob is leaving the room. So we watched Milf Manor. Okay. Because. Because First, there's, there's like endless things to watch, right. and Bob's like, "Oh, we should just put on Milf Manor." We're perusing, <laughs> perusing the new Max offerings, right? Yes. We're like going through the new app, and like uh, carefully adding, like, uh, "Oh, look how it's made! This will be fun to watch with the children." Let's add this to my list. All right. The kids like engineering stuff. Let's put this Mark Rober guy, who's a, a famous YouTuber. Oh, he's great. He, he he's got yeah, a thing with Max. He's got a thing on Max. Oh, I'm gonna add great. that, <laughs> add that to my list. Even the children. Uh, he he, uh, he uh, uh, has like a Christmas time thing where he sends, uh, uh, he leaves packages deliberately so the porch pirates, uh, unsuspecting porch pirates, get like like farts and like things thrown <laughs> in their just face. Kidding. Talking about at dinner tonight. Our children were very excited to share that episode uh, with us tonight at the dinner table. It's great. Yeah, he's great. He's a very successful YouTuber. He had his uh, turned some of his YouTube videos into episodes of a television show for Discovery, and now they have migrated over to Max. Uh, And then we're like, "Oh, look, Good Eats. Good Eats has got like 20 seasons. This this is great. We can watch all the all of Alton Brown's Good Eats here." So we did that on Friday. Put that on our list, and then we're. Getting lower on the list. Oh, Milf Manor. I guess we should watch that. So you're gonna you'll look at our you, you show up in our house. You look at our. Would you like to continue watching tab? Uh, and it will just be Milf Manor. And then the, my list is just like all of these upstanding uh, engineering and and culinary shows or what have you. Uh, anyway, uh, we watched one episode of Milf Manor, and we will not watch no. any more episodes of Milf Manor. What is the concept shitty, of the? Oh, I mean, God. It's, it's as I described it last week. Uh, these middle-aged, these horned-up middle-aged That's ladies right. show up, and uh, it is soon revealed that the their dating pool, because this is a dating show, will be populated with their twenty odd, twenty-year-old or so sons. Right? right. So there's who are into older women. Right. So that's that's the like. What the fuck was the casting like on this show? Right. Like, the chances that the moms 
have s- who are into younger guys yes. have sons who are that also, are yeah. into older women. It, yeah. It's just like what? Why the cast? Why? It's a very simple explanation, which is that it took. So there have been trashy reality shows of this bent for let's say twenty years. Right? It's, it's not exact, but we're gonna it's go like years. it's 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 post Survivor, and it's whenever Fox started doing like yeah, the who Bachelor. wants to marry a millionaire? Yeah, uh, like uh, they had some sort of weird couples fuck island. I think yes, uh, Temptation I, Island. Yeah. yeah, that was the first one right after Survivor. So that was good. Roughly twenty. It was not, probably not that, but <laughs> it was good. Uh, roughly twenty years. It took that long. For American society and and uh, Mexican society, and because this is a multicultural, she lives uh, in show, Miami to degrade right. to the point where there would be eight women and their eight sons. It took that long to collect that many people to make one reality show this bad. Right. Uh, that that's how it's. It, they they tried. They started. Uh, this show back in 2005, they they started trying to recruit people, but it took until 2022, 2023. Yeah, you can't rush these. Things. Okay, so the other problem is that there's no host. Yeah, it's right. one of these where they just send out text messages to these people, and they have to read the text messages to the group as a as a replacement for. Uh, fucking Mario Lopez or Nick Lachey or whatever. Oh, I'm other. getting a text. You will all be going to the pool to have some drinks and get to know each other. Right. Like it's they're not a, good at reading. It's a dreadful way of having somebody try to drive the drive the bus of the show. Right. And yeah, some of them. Uh, and it, like I get it. Not everybody is good at reading out loud to a group. Uh, but some of them sound like my eight-year-old trying to read something out loud to the group, which only uh, compounds She's the better at it. awfulness. I mean, to me, like Milf Manor, I assume like the 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 kids or whatever, they're like they're whatever the casting agent wants. I'm gonna say I'm into that, right? Like I'm sure that the the the, the older people are in, into younger know. whatever. Right. But like, I mean, most m- most. In their twenties, dudes, like, are you down to fuck fifty-year-old hot chicks who are really into their physical appearance? And like, when I say that, you sort of know what I'm talking right, about, right? right? Then the answer is going to be, yeah, sure, whatever, yeah. man. I'll be on TV, and I'll be a TV, like, right? Uh, it, it is. This one is particularly depressing because there's, first of all, there's one very sad woman. Uh, like her daughter died. Her daughter just died, oh, like no. months ago, and she's like, she's clearly like adrift in the world. Thing, and she thinks that this is some way of doing something that her daughter would approve of, or that uh, to make her daughter proud. And it's like, no, man, you just need like you need some therapy, and <laughs> you need to hang out with some people your own age who have had similar yeah. heartbreaking, terrible experiences in life that none of these douchebags uh, have any experience with whatsoever. Uh, I don't know. It's. It's not the sort of it's not even fun or interesting enough no. to continue watching. Also, it's the just production bad. is terrible. Right, the production is stupid and bad. Whatever. I guess they they're saving 80 grand or something by not having to pay a host. And no one has uh, to attach their name to it. Right. And no one has to be embarrassed. Anyway, don't watch it. It's very bad. Do not watch it. <laughs> At this point, I'm going to watch it and I'll watch it like on the flight to Montreal, and I'll st- somebody Ugh. will be judging me. That my yeah, hide my- the screen from watching? whoever. Is- 
Uh, so we go from the absolute dregs of television to the alleged uh, top tier, the, the prestige TV, because right. Succession episode 10 of season four, the series finale. I almost think that this could have just been a season finale. And then he was like, well, it could also be the series finale right. though, and we could just be done. Like, I don't think that he like I can see him having written this season and then deciding, OK, that's it. Rather than saying we're going to write a series finale and then right. doing all of this. Right. Isn't that uh, I mean, did they kind of like when the season started, that's was that the first time word got out? That this was it, like it wasn't I think like so, ahead yeah. of time, that. It was just like the new season. What was starts. your impression of the of the last episode? Ninety I, I, minute long episode. What what did you think? I I, I enjoyed it. I I do. You know, I, I get some of the the motivations of the characters. I, just the way it went about it, just seemed like these people, like uh, like the 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 the, the siblings, not Connor, who's whatever. They're the three main uh, siblings. Like they're 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 not fit to serve any role in any company. They're just like not only are they like incompetent, but they're just like very emotionally uh, fragile. Like little thing. I mean, yeah, I know their parents raised uh, their parents are terrible. They're, they they are not very good parents. The way they raised them, the mother, even to even to that point, she's like using this grief session is an opportunity for her husband to like sell him some shit. Like it's just like, just not very good parents and the kids are not well adjusted. And it's, it becomes like this crab in a bucket kind of thing where like, Hey, Kendall's like, you know, why not me? You know, let's just, we gotta, we gotta sell it. And so give it to me. And after some hemming and hawing, it looked like, Oh, they came to an agreement that they'll give it to him and they had their little fun in, in the in the kitchen and everything looked great. Although, like you're thinking, this is like pretty early in a series finale. There's no way this right. is how it ends, right? I mean, th- it's, 30- not, it's not a glide path down to uh down to Valhalla also, from again, here. Right. Yeah. Only eating when it's shameful. Yes. <laughs> that's yeah. But what what's what's interesting is that the the siblings can't they have like no restraint. Like they, they can't like you know when they're up, they can't like not like just be gloat gloating or doing something to their other brother. Say, oh, I beat you. Like at the beginning of the episode. So like- I do think I, I think you're right in the context of them having to be in a room together, right? When when they have to compete against one another because of the way Logan raised them they cannot help but become these emotionally fragile and manipulative and deeply psychologically damaged people who make the wrong decisions over and over and over again. But on their own, we have seen through four seasons, uh, though they are still those things, uh, mostly regarding their relationships with other people, like Shiv is a perfectly serviceable and you can imagine her doing communications or PR work for the most powerful people in the world. Right. Right. Like we've seen her succeed. Yeah. She's competent that in that work. role. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Competent in that role when she's not in direct competition with her siblings. Right. right. Uh, the same can be said for Kendall who, while a mess personally, uh, seems to be okay at doing the, the corporate bigwig thing well, to some extent. Well, especially because what is that even? What is the corporate bigwig thing? Right. Like, it seems like it is pure just ego and posturing, right. and he can do that. Right. So what's the difference? And even Roman was showing when not 
confronted directly with uh, having to outcompete his siblings, that he was a fairly competent individual who uh, sort of, to some extent, through that management training program, uh, showed that he could sort of do some things. Uh, to, does that mean that he should be the CEO of a, a mega corporation with uh, divisions in on six continents or whatever? No, almost certainly not. But like, he's a, a reasonably competent right. and intelligent individual. It's just when it comes down to this family dynamic and put, sticking the three of, three of them in competition with one another, they cannot help themselves. Right. But what 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 I do want uh, uh, wonder what you think about what happened the sequence of events because the the three siblings come to the agreement that that Ken will be the person uh the CEO and you know they'll have a role but blah 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 right and and that'll be the pitch to take power away from the Gojo the 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 sweet people, um, right. and and so no issues there. Then the next day happens. You know, Kendall's feeling great. He being like a dick, like starts changing. You know, he he's like he was like gonna bring in the that his friend. Like you can be like like you can sit on a non-exec chair or whatever. Basically, he's doing what he always says that he won't do. Like when he tells his siblings, like I'm the CEO on paper, because that's, you know, the story we're selling is that you cannot have one person be the head, but this is going to be a partnership. I'm going to talk through these decisions we're going to make and you'll have input. And almost immediately he's making decisions without running by anybody. Right. So, you know, you see like Shiv give a look like, huh, that's interesting. Like we didn't talk about this, but like, so, in the meeting when the votes are happening, it gets to 6-6, six, six, and then Shiv is the final vote, and she starts to like, oh, you know, I need to step outside, and the whole thing falls apart. And I'm thinking, like, that's weird. Like, so after they agreed the night before that this was going to be the plan, the, in, the new information Shiv got was that Kendall is sliding back to his old habits by just saying he's going to do whatever he wants to do, right? So she won't have any input in a Ken CEO, right? Right. Well, but even even before that, she goes on the war path, fully determined now more than ever to make sure that it's Kendall, because it is revealed at her father's old apartment that Tom is going to be right. the next. That, that that Tom says to her, he can't play dumb any longer, which he had tried to do, but he knew he wasn't getting away with playing dumb. Right. So he's like, Shiv, you should know, it's me. Right. Matson is going to. Uh, throw you out it, the the plan was for it to be you but he doesn't need you he has anointed me to be the american ceo right and and and, and that, that that's that sets her off right. she's furious about and, that and, and just to just to add one more layer to that is the, the reason why the siblings got together and eventually decided on ken is because shiv who was thinking she was going to be the us ceo uh information came out through greg who by the way live translation that was neat <laughs> like he's like i don't know these fucking right. swedish people are saying i don't know is it is it is the technology good enough to do that like if somebody can you stand yeah, by it is, i think some random person yeah, you can you you can just talk it and it will it will do it no, for you i'll i'll set that up for the french canadian language i'll try it this weekend it's, but uh, it, you can't do it while being discreet which he wasn't being right but, but like it, the, yeah but nobody thinks that that highly of him so he could just be anywhere and no one will be like yeah. oh let's let's not right, and they're all on their fucking phones all the time anyway right so yeah so it like... didn't yeah it didn't look like he was doing anything it looks like he was just on his phone but so shiv is thinking i'm gonna be the king shit of this sibling rivalry right she thought she was gonna come out on top her brother tells her 
you need to start making some calls because you're getting shivved uh, out of that spot. And she's like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to be that. So she learns that. Then she settles with, the okay, fine, Ken begrudgingly will go with Ken. Then she finds out her, her husband-ish all along was getting this job, right? And so she's like, okay, so he's either going to get it, my spouse or my brother, and she, I guess her decision was like, I'd rather be second fiddle to my husband than second fiddle to my brother. Was that her calculation? I don't know if it was purely, because there's either, if they, if I can't have it, no one can. Right. Like, there's a little bit of that. Right. And like, if I align myself with my husband-ish, yeah. then that's sort of me having it. But I, it's also possible that she, like... Roman said, like, this is all bullshit. We're bullshit. Like, no one should have it. Right. This should just end now. Right. Which could have been the... I don't, uh, think, the, what I I don't think that she... She does not have any of the self-awareness that Roman suggests that he has in no, that moment. in a sub... It, I just... It didn't seem purely selfish. It seemed a little bit, let's just end this. You don't, Because I thought that the opportunity for that was the night before. Like, if they just said, I am not... I want to be the, the person and you want to be the person and, and the uh, Roman wants to be the person and we can't agree on one of us. So because of that, let's just call the whole thing off. Sell out. To, you know, the, by the way, all these people who are weeping, like Ken and Roman drinking, they're, they're, they're like richer because of these transactions. Like it's like they're they're doing right, well. They have something like literally a billion dollars to <laughs> yeah, their name each I don't now. feel sorry uh, for a single one yeah, of them. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, these shitty people like made out. And they're complaining. It's just kind of ridiculous. But like to me, this seems like it was like a in the moment decision because, yeah, the points that you're making, Lori, those are all valid. But were, those were valid the night before, and they could have been made then. But, but I don't think she felt that the night before. So you think she came to that realization in the moment, and she was like, "Oh, fuck this! I'm gonna." I, that's what it felt like watching it at the time to me. Right. It felt like a sort of moment of. Like I act actually, I don't want this. Right. I don't want it. I don't. I don't want them to have it. They don't know what they're doing. We don't. I don't know what I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing. Except that she could have been done giving it to Kendall and then fucking off. I think that this. Yeah, but then there's the part where she doesn't want him to have something that she doesn't have. Right. I think that it. it her motives are largely selfish in the following respect, which is that. She's first of all, she's going to get paid, right? So she's going to make the big pile of money through this deal, uh, even if half of it is in stock, uh, which it it is. But if given that fact, does she think that Kendall would be a better steward of that stock price of the non-merged company than Tom and Matson will be of the newly merged company? Like, presumably, they're going to be all right here. Right. Uh, moving forward. So I think that there's a clear financial incentive for her to say, I'm out and I'm cashing out. And also, I still get the benefit of having my husband be the CEO a of this company. puppet CEO, right? I mean, he agreed on the terms of just, he's just the puppet. He'll absorb any flack. A pain sponge. He's yeah. a pain sponge, a pain as sponge. Uh, what, okay. Matson says he wants. What do you make of the lobbing out the, by the way, you killed somebody like i know that they were in a conference room separate from the other conference room even though this this, this glass everywhere and pure rationalization by shiv it's just it's it's no, shiv what, trying but also it's it's 
that's like a like actionable like that's a crime that you're just throwing right. out there in your rules. Also, spec. by the way, like he's not a murderer. He didn't kill right, somebody. Yeah. It's there, like, was, there was a car accident, accident. and but, like right. I don't even think that he could be reasonably convicted of manslaughter. Like it was just but of the cover up, right? I mean, right. The cover up becomes the problem. But like I, I again, it's television, so it has to be silly, but. But I, but do you think it, it she it, it, that that moment was uh, to, to was that like a reflection of how like uh, careless she was being because that's a very reckless thing to do I mean you can make a very rational argument as to why her choice makes sense but the flailing about and the reckless way she went about it just seemed like she's reaching like, about she's reaching out for anything to justify her decision right and so she's choosing the most ready to hand hurtful thing that she can come up with and the answer to that is kendall was vulnerable to us in this way in this moment and that is now a weapon that i can use against him and it it happens to be the case that it would be very bad for that information to come out about the ceo of this corporation right she's not wrong that if this information eventually were to be made public it would be very detrimental to her financial situation uh Maybe not – it wouldn't kill anything, obviously. They're, they have too right. much money for it to be sort of existentially dangerous to her. But it would be bad for the firm in that way. The, the siblings have said terrible things to each other, about each other throughout the four seasons, right? Uh, and, and this episode was like up there with those terrible things. I mean the murder thing is what – or the, the, the incident there, um, the Chappaquiddick right. – like uh, incident, uh, but then uh, Roman, like you know, earlier on, like you know, he I guess got this weird thing where like he wants to feel pain or whatever. So like his brother was doing some weird like huggy, like I'm gonna bruise. I your... was relating hard to Kendall in that scene. I wasn't relating like, hard to it. I was so so Kendall. Yeah, it looks like Roman is sort of uh, losing his nerve in the moment to actually walk into the conference room and vote no uh, to the deal, and Kendall cannot abide. Uh, Roman losing his nerve and he's probably afraid that if he doesn't show up then he won't be able to fully control what's happening and he doesn't want Kendall to lose his nerve so much that from uh, a speakerphone in a in the next building over that he just votes yes to be done with it and so he he sort of hugs him and inflicts some pain upon him he tears his stitches open in a in in an embrace, right? Like he pulls right. him in so tight and rubs his head against his shoulder so hard that it inflicts pain, which is a trick that he learned from Roman, uh, from Logan about how right. to control Roman is by uh, uh, doing sort of small amounts of abuse here and there. Kicking a dog or something? Right. What, what I was reminded of in that moment was Tony Soprano killing Christopher Moltisanti to spoil the end of uh, Sopranos Thanks. from – Thanks for spoiling. That. I mean, I, I I haven't. I'm not in that season, but I know it, know it because it's such a popular show. It's a cultural touchstone, yes. right? We right. we all know. I still that. haven't seen it. I thought you were referring to leaning down to kiss Chris and biting him. No, <laughs> it's not. That was uh, something that two year old me did. Would I would pretend to kiss my <laughs> newborn brother and instead bite his face? Because uh, fuck that little rotten piece of redheaded shit. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, no, when Tony kills Christopher, it's not an embrace. He he chokes him. Christopher is uh, – they, they've just been in a car accident. Uh, 
Christopher admits to being high, which he's supposed to be in recovery, but instead, of course, he's not. Uh, the accident happens because Christopher is high and distracted, and it could have killed Tony. But further, Tony looks over his shoulder and sees the destroyed car seat. Uh, that it's an empty car seat, but n- nevertheless, it's it's a the, the potential here is that were it not this particular arrangement of me and and my my nep- my so-called nephew here it would have been his kid who would have, who would have died in this accident and tony realizes that he has an opportunity to just sort of snuff it out he can reach over and he and he suffocates christopher who who sort of dies choking on his own blood uh when his life probably would have been easily saved just with paramedics or what have you right there's a way that i i i it felt like an echo to me to some extent because Kendall probably believes he's doing what's best or can justify it in his head that he's doing both what's best for Kendall but also what's best for Roman in that moment. That Roman simply is having a, a momentary flight of illogical fancy here and he's being a coward and if and if he regrounds him in this moment, then it will be what's best for for Roman. Uh, Kendall probably firmly believes that, uh, just as Tony probably believed in that moment that he was doing uh, a sort of a mercy kill of Christopher in that moment. That that Christopher, by virtue of his his personal failings over and over again, essentially, uh, that any life that he would have after this is a is an impoverished life in some way. Uh, Tony can justify it that action to himself right. in that way, in the same way that Kendall can in that moment. It's not an exact parallel. It just it just echoed for me in that way. What do you make of like with this poor treatment uh, the siblings are uh, throwing at each other? So like in that conference room thing where Shiv says the thing about the, the whatever, like Roman said something um, that's kind of I don't know if it was mentioned before, but like he was saying that. Uh, the kids of his, like of Ken, uh, right? They start talking about bloodlines, and it's like Shiv. Yes. Shiv says, yeah. I've, "What do I do about my? You know, I, I've got to look out for my own kid." And like this is the the continuation of the family name. And Roman brings up that Logan had previously disparaged Kendall's children as not being uh, sort of trueborn of, of being. Yeah, because right. Kendall goes, "I'm the eldest boy." Yeah. He says, I'm the eldest. And the the response to that from Shiv is perfect because you're not, right? Like Connor is the (laughs) eldest boy. Uh, It's also like, like, it's so pathetic. And it's, it's almost too pathetic for me in that moment. Like, like it, 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 I get that there's supposed to be these sort of whiny entitled irredeemable pieces of shit, but like the, the, the screeching about being the eldest boy there is just, it's so far below even what I think of as the low point that this character would allow himself to, but back to, back to Roman and, and the illegitimacy of Kendall's children. Like one of them is adopted, which is the daughter. And then the second child is, uh, apparently we didn't know this before, but I guess Rava had, IVF and the it, there was a sperm donor involved rather than it being Kendall's own kid seems to be the implication there, Which and that means, is what that is what sets Kendall off uh, sort right. of to the next level, right? But that means uh, Ken is uh, what is the term like is he infertile or just not not capable of presumably he's impotent and infertile or or some unfortunate uh, combination of the two, yeah. Okay, so that would I, I mean I. 
because I was, when he when that scene happened after the the uh, the episode ended, I was thinking, well, boy, if you if you add that to the dynamic with his father and him, I'm sure like that, his, his Logan did not think of. Uh, great things about like his kid not being able to reap you know he's like these old school type of people he's like he right. it's not it's not the first time kendall has caught wind of logan's disapproval of his inability to properly reproduce right. as, which is something outside of your it. control right i mean it's not like right which is why rava doesn't it. bring the right which is why rava's <laughs> whole thing about not bringing the kids to the funeral is probably informed by her feeling that Logan never treated the kids, uh, never never right. fully embraced the kids as as his own grandchildren, because they're not of the correct uh, genetic line uh, in right. that way too. The scene at the apartment where they're divvying up Logan's old shit, and uh, you know, Connor believes he's going to be in Slovenia as an ambassador, and Willa is they're going to have this long distance thing. Uh, and she wants to get rid of all the furniture. But then they walk into the other room and there's a scene playing on the television. And it's uh, it's too cute by half, uh, but it's fucking television. So what are you going to do? It's fine uh, in terms of the contrivance of the whole thing. Right. But we have Logan having an enjoyable meal with the old guard. There's Frank and Jerry and Carl are there. Uh, his personal assistant, uh, what's her name, is there who he's having an affair with. And Carrie of course, yeah, Carrie, uh, and then uh, oldest brother Connor, and and I guess Willa is there also. Maybe she's the one taking the video. I don't remember her being in the shot, but it's a moment in which we see Logan interacting basically as a relatively happy-go-lucky, charming individual who's sort of got control of the room, but then who also cedes the floor to everyone else. Like he, it's right. it's a it's a it's a fun dinner party that they're all experiencing and there's none of the sort of overwhelming Logan assholery fuck off behavior uh, that we're used to seeing. And I think that the reason that that exists and the reason that that's possible is it gives us a window into what the world, this world is like when the kids, the three fucking rotten, absolute spoiled entitled pieces of shit aren't right. around right yes. it gives us this view of uh, a fairly functional uh, uh situation in which even connor because he's removed himself from this right. conversation at all can have a relatively normal relationship with his own father in a way that the three younger kids uh, never stood a chance to because they were so intimately concerned uh with getting their their share of the pie and, and and you know now I mean I don't know what Schiff's plans are but like at least the other the the the, the uh, Ken and Roman once they stop crying about making all this money um, they could do whatever the fuck they want like they should be glad that they're out of this whole thing like they weren't happy doing these things right it's so been it's my like, problem the whole time yeah it's just like I know they're trying to seek the approval of their father and, and that's why just, they're doing they it they but they want like power but like right, why. Yeah, yeah, but Roman doesn't – Roman never even really did, right? Like it, it, right. he had to fake it. He was seeking power because his dad insisted that he ought to want that power, right? right? It's not something that he naturally wanted in any way. He seems to me to be entirely at peace as he sits in that bar all by himself yeah. drinking that martini that uh, somebody on – I didn't catch this. Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch it either. Somebody online yeah. suggested that that's Jerry's drink. Yeah. Uh, I'm not – I have no, I, I can't, I've, I cannot verify that. 
nor can I disprove it. It's a fairly popular drink, though, right? It's not like some r- random. Sure, yeah, but, but I, it's not what he usually. It's not drinks. what he would normally drink, and so because it's something that she would, I guess it's supposed to have meaning in yeah. that way. I don't know what specifically that is saying, even if it is, if, even if we're supposed to understand that he's drinking Jerry's classic drink. I don't, I yeah. don't know what that means. But he seems to me, he, he has that little hint of a smile. There uh, is our last shot of him, like, oh, I could just be my fucking sardonic, stupid asshole of a self. And just like hang out, right? This this is going to be just fine, right. and he seems to be relatively at peace there. Uh, Shiv, I think is she's she not become her mother. Yeah, I, I don't think that she's going to be comfortable being the CEO's wife, right? She doesn't want to be known as the wife of Tom Omgans, uh, but uh, at the same time. It is one way uh, for her to sort of get out. Like she's got now, she's got this enormous pile of money, and if she wants to go be a society lady, she can. If she wants to run a nonprofit, she can. If she wants to do the thing that she's best at, which is advise people, uh, because again, as you point out, like these are people who are just reacting to the momentary circumstance. When you're doing that for yourself, and you're all tied up in your own personal emotionality and psychology. It results in very bad things when right. you can look at somebody else's situation and and see it from a more objective point of view and then give them advice as to what they should be doing. Like all of her advice to Matson checked out all of her advice to Gill or the, the, the political campaigns apparently largely seemed to uh, check out uh, when it was followed. So she's good at that. She could find right. a way back into that world, presumably. It should be. uh it should be noted that uh, these shitheads, they are so self-involved with their the thing they care about. Like this last episode, this extended like what, 80, 90-minute episode, there was like brief mention of like the real-world th- uh, things that they contributed to, which is like this uh, election, this U.S. election right. and the goings-on in uh, Wisconsin, is it? Like it's, oh, yeah, it's going through the courts and maybe it'll go the other way. Uh, and they just go on about their. It's like right. who cares about what happens? Doesn't matter at all, right? <laughs> it's like yeah, they 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 care so little about these things. It's just like just very transactional, right? And then for Kendall, like I I assume that by the time we got to Kendall feeling like he was going to be king of the world, that you realized that your fifty bucks uh, that you put on Kendall last week was spent yeah. and not coming back to you because obviously he couldn't. Yes. It wasn't going to work out for him. Uh, was so close. He was he, he was looking good. He was looking good. Uh, and yeah, like Kendall's position at the end of this series and Roman's speech about how we're bullshit. Like it's all bullshit. We were always bullshit. Uh, and the subtext to the extent that you can say that there's any subtext there because he's just he's just saying it. It's just yeah. what he's saying. Uh, the subtext is like, Kendall, you've always known that you are bullshit. And this is simply confirmation. Like they, he all but said, we're bullshit just like you've always known. Right. That's sort right. of the, the only yeah. part that's unsaid is the end of the sentence there. Right. Uh, it's the same thing that we started the series with. And so to the extent that I have a complaint about it. It was a fine hour and a half of TV, whatever. It was a good season of television. I think probably the best season uh, that this series has had in terms of uh, consistently keeping my rapt attention and and having those moments of of like just great, like can't tear your eyes away from it sort of drama happening. It succeeded on that level. To some extent, this whole series has the same 
like the, the the way that it fails, it fails because it was born as a two hour movie. Right. So th- this guy wrote this originally, this Jesse Armstrong guy wrote this as a two hour movie about much more explicitly about the Murdochs. Right. Yes. About a slightly fictionalized version of the Murdoch family uh, that he then turned into. Uh, 40 or 50 hours of television or whatever whatever we end up with. And in a two-hour movie, the sort of glib, pointless characters who are total bullshit and who come to find themselves out to be total bullshit, uh, that's that's a fine arc over the course of a two-hour movie. I'm less convinced that there's anything to take away from this fucking 40 or 50 hours of investment that we did right. in this series. Like, is it is the, the, is the juice worth the squeeze, ultimately, <laughs> if my feeling and understanding of these three characters is precisely what it was upon right. first encountering them fucking 50 hours and five years ago, right? Like, right. What, what, did, what was gained here? Will I take anything away from this in the way that I still think about the X-Files fucking 30 years later? I still think about Tony Soprano and the Sopranos uh, 20 years later. I still think to some extent about uh, Breaking Bad and Mad Men. They, it has resonance because it spoke bigger truths about the human condition than these three spoiled rich assholes are bullshit, which was the right. same exact thing that we knew about them fucking five years ago. Right. Uh, is that something that uh, you should expect from every show? Like, I mean, I'm happy when it happens, but, like, I don't expect that. Like, every no, once but in a while you'll show get a show is, This like show that. has been talked about in the same breath oh, as all yes. of the rest yeah. of the great television that we're meant to believe transcended the form in some way. And for me, as fun as this show was, as good and and quippy and enjoyable as the dialogue was, and the like, I laugh. I laughed at this show as much as I have at at shows that are like straight up comedies, right? Like I, the audaciousness of it, the the absurdity of it, I enjoy it. I got a great big kick out of it. Uh, but in terms of it being uh, a transcendent television experience uh, that that transcends the form, I don't think so. I, I think that right. this it spoke instead to a cultural moment and it flattered the sensibilities of an already elite class of. Uh, media consumers that they could then point at a, a much higher elite class and laugh at them for. Uh, right. Like this is a show where it seems like uh, like the numbers are less than two million people. I think uh, yeah. per, per episode I'm we're watching. By that. Every single one of them uh, was talking about it on the internet or or had a blog or a podcast about it. Seemingly, right? Uh, yes. That's true, yeah. It, it is. I, I am surprised that the number is stubbornly that low. You think it would be a, an uptick in the last like three, four episodes, like as the series is winding down, but it's still like two million, three million uh, uh, on the regular. Do, do I, I? I discount some of the 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 media types who say this show is in that upper tier of shows. I just think that they're just like a prisoner of the moment types. Like I, I don't think they will have those same opinions down the road. Because like once the dust settles and you look back, they'll reach the same conclusion you did. Wait a minute. This is almost like a one-note thing. Shitty people the from the beginning through the end. Good. What's that? The character, like the thing that the show is best at, it maybe did better than any show ever, which was like the writing of the characters. Oh, the char- yeah. But then the like characters not changing. you read the script without knowing the 
who was saying which thing, you would yeah. still know who was no. saying which thing. Sure, they are individually well-drawn characters. And I think that's the thing that it did better are, than anything else, probably. There are moments of very good individual character work throughout. I just don't think that... It didn't have anything of interest to say about our world beyond the one good satirical note, which I think functions better in a in a much sort of smaller pill like you can you can swallow all of that in one go and not have to have it uh drawn out in the way that it was uh but that's what television does and that, yeah. that's fine and kudos to him for not uh doing another season of it yes. and 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 punishing us with 10 more hours of it uh further down the line that was a good decision to end it on this note this you got all the points across and everybody can move on yeah, I think so. And and like, you know, the the fact that Tom succeeds here, so to speak, uh this is not like his crowning achievement. He's going to you know, he'll shepherd the company through the transition and then at some point 3 or 4 down years down the line, there'll be a a, a rough couple of quarters in a row and Tom Wombgens will be out and somebody right. else will be in, I'm sure. Right. Uh, probably won't take that long. One last note on Greg, so we never have to talk about uh, these people again. <laughs> Greg's decision to try to ultimately quad up and and become a part of, like, hitch his wagon to these people rather than try to ingratiate himself further with Tom was such a profoundly stupid decision on his part that I... I I don't. I knew that they had to do it for plot reasons in order to get Shiv turned around. Uh, But like to me, in that moment when Tom says we're going to be okay, and he he makes that he doesn't say, and I'm the CEO and you'll be there by my side because that's not the relationship he has with fucking Greg, right? Right. He he needs Greg to be his uh, shit rolls downhill. Uh, pain sponge himself uh, so he'll always keep greg around like there was never any doubt as greg is walking up to him as to what the, how that relationship would continue tom needs greg way more than greg needs tom greg just doesn't quite realize it just yet right. um i just found uh, greg's decision making process there to be utterly inexplicable uh stick with you- tom don't bother trying to hook yourself back into these idiots did, did it make sense though to you that uh despite the uh, Greg's miscalculation that Tom brought him back in the fold anyways because, hey, this guy is like kind of like me. Like, you know, if the opportunity presents for him to advance his position, he'll take it even if it's it runs counter to what I want. So maybe he saw something in him there and he's like, ah, you're a snake. I'm a snake. This can still work. Yeah, but Tom knows that he can ultimately control Greg, right? Like that that's right. sort of what it I think that's Greg's main function there. He doesn't want as he said earlier in this season, I don't want other people gregging for me. I want Greg right. gregging for me. Yes. Uh, and that will be his position moving forward. And all of the the sort of idle threats about like, oh, you know, you're going to go from $200,000 a year down to 20 grand a year, I think is uh probably pretty silly. Right. It's useful to have family members as dumb as the uh, corporate world is, uh, and the fact that it is useful for Greg to be there, presumably that he serves some sort of function there. I also don't understand, and I'm sure that there's a reason for it, why Ewan, why the brother, Logan's brother, was such an obvious solid no on this. Yeah. Uh, why does, like, why is that go without saying? I don't fully understand 
why that would be the case when you would think like Ewan would just be just as happy for him and his family to wash their hands of this right. entirely. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but overall, again, fine. Perfectly good TV, but for me, uh, not that much more than perfectly good TV. Uh, Abe, have you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. By the way, Bob, uh, whenever you get around to uh, watch, uh, listening to the latest episode of the, the other podcast, The Bitter, yeah. uh, recorded a day ago. Um, and somewhere in there early on, I said something along the lines that there is no way uh, Miami, this Miami Heat team, uh, which was went up 3-0, and then they somehow allowed the other team to come back and force a Game 7. There's no way that they would go to Boston uh, and win a Game 7. After you were up 3-0, you let them come back 3-3, and I turn on my phone now, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Miami won like by 20. <laughs> <laughs> you did that for them. So we I, have to I get know. up very early tomorrow yeah. to book some dinner, some lunch reservations. Oh, yeah? We're getting up again early tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, you have to book these fucking Disney things like 60 days out. So oh, wow. you have to like wake up and try to book your lunch reservation for two months from now. It's a very silly wow. system. Well, good luck with all that. Yeah. Thank when, you. When, <laughs> what is your flight situation? I leave Wednesday morning, come back Sunday evening-ish. Where are you yeah. staying? Some hotel. In, somewhere go. in the city. Like downtown Montreal? I think so. Whenever someone else plans those things, I don't look into them. I just Okay, so up. you didn't have to make any of these arrangements? Yeah, somebody else did it, and I'm just sending them the money. So I'm just going there. Nice. Well, fucking have fun. Do you have like a set itinerary or is it just like let's walk yeah, around Montreal? Yeah, somebody came up with like a general outline, like hit these things each day. But like, you know, I'm sure we'll do some other things. Nice. Well, take notes. You got to have French-Canadian anecdotes for us next week. We'll, we'll do. All right. Have fun. All right. Good night. Good night. It tastes more or less like a Guinness. Like, I mean, if you like the taste of Guinness, I don't. It's a remarkable facsimile of Guinness beer. They did a good job. It's like uh, Coke Zero. Are they like the closest to? Now look at that. It pours a oh. classic Guinness head. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's a very believable Guinness. Yeah, it's actually not bad. The next step is to do a car bomb with a zero percent alcohol Guinness <laughs> and a zero percent bourbon or Irish whiskey, rather. Yeah. And a 0% uh, Irish cream. be really disgusting, I'm sure. That's too many things that they have to get right. It's almost impossible. The bourbon that we had was so disgusting. Yeah, the bourbon was awful. You were here for that. Like, we yeah. Yeah, we didn't even keep it. Put it right down the drain. They they know that, right? Like, and the, yet they still were like, all right, this is ready to, to market. <laughs> Maybe that's the idea, to get people to quit alcohol. Oh, fuck this. This tastes like shit. The Proceeding was created with 100% human content.